thought-provoking discussions, insightful information, a captivating conversation, with the knowledge and experience to confront the issues that matter to you. This is North to South with MLA's Peter Millibar and Todd Stone. Here's your host, Bob Price. Welcome to our second edition of North to South with Kamloops MLA's Todd Stone and Peter Millibar. Uh, gentlemen, welcome. Good morning. Always good to join you, Bob. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Bob. Well, you know, much uh, to discuss since our inaugural North to South, including uh, the start of a brand new session of the legislature highlighted uh, by the latest provincial budget uh, featuring that razor thin surplus along with growing debt, which according to the NDP government's uh, own admission uh, will be going from around 70.6 billion this year to over 86 billion by the uh, end of March uh, 2023. Absolutely no money, it appears, being put aside for capital projects. It's all going to be debt. Uh, a budget that also uh, quietly, uh, we find out, cuts transit funding. All of that said, uh, this budget, Todd, uh, making no mention of an economic strategy, job creation, or a helping hand for BC's beleaguered forest sector, although it did highlight some new taxes. Yes, this was a very much, uh, a, I think, a typical NDP budget in that uh, it it is uh, completely devoid of an economic strategy, as you as you say there. Uh, no jobs plan. You remember, we've we've lost uh, thirty two thousand eight hundred jobs in the last eight months. Though all 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 those being full time uh, private sector jobs. Uh, they're, um, uh, all of the key economic indicators uh, are pointing in the wrong direction uh, in this budget. Uh, uh, retail sales are, 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 are down. Consumer confidence is down. Employment is projected to be down. Housing supply is down. Uh, what's up? Uh, taxes. Taxes are up in a big, big way. Uh, there's uh, four new taxes included in this budget. It uh, brings to a total of 24 uh, new or increased taxes that the NDP have, uh, have imposed in uh, less than three years. The average family is going to be paying over $3,000 a year more in tax today than they did uh, uh, three years ago. So yeah, there is a breaking point for all of this, and I think we're rapidly approaching that, uh, that point. Peter, your breakdown of the uh, budget. Very similar to Todd's. It's um, it's disappointing to see that uh, essentially without the new taxation, they would be in deficit. Uh, there's a, a, a litany of broken promises from the election, um, an election that uh, the NDP promised that not only were all of their promises fully costed in the, the BC Liberal uh, framework back in 2017, uh, and that was before our it was understood that we had a $2.7 billion surplus. So when you when you put it onto that scale of an extra sixteen billion dollars with a B added to the spending and taxation, uh, and and still nowhere near fulfilling any of their election commitments, um, with that backdrop of them saying it was uh, fully funded previously, it really does make one question their credibility moving forward with uh, with any of these programs. But uh, when you look at things like the transit cuts, uh, how that will impact Kamloops and Kelowna and Prince George. Um, that's significant. It's, uh, you know, it's only BC Transit that's seen that cut, although TransLink, I understand, is seeing less of an increase than they were expecting. Um, and, and it's not the same number that was in last year's budget book. So we're already seeing, seeing a dialing back of those budgets. And in fact, 13 ministries out of, uh, what is it, 21 ministries, 2021 ministries are actually seeing uh, budget reductions uh, in spite of the spending going up. And so, um, you know, there's there's some very real concerns uh, when you look at 
uh, forestry and, and environment and those uh, ministries that are seeing uh, budget cuts. And uh, I, I would add to what Peter has said in terms of the ministry budget cuts. Uh, the ministries that have been cut are all of the economic ministries. Uh, the uh, ministry of, of uh, that's responsible for small business, uh, tourism, trade. Uh, well, they don't call it trade. They've taken trade out of out of all of the uh, the uh, the names of everything and the closed trade offices. But uh, that ministry is uh, has been cut. The ministry of technology and innovation, uh, uh, the services that are provided there have been cut. Uh, the uh, obviously all the dirt ministries, forestry, mining, oil and gas. Uh, the ministries have all been cut. Uh, so uh, I, I think this this again underscores. Uh, the the choices that this government is making, which is not to fo- focus first and foremost on uh, doing everything it can to drive a, a thriving, growing, vibrant uh, private sector uh, economy in British Columbia, but rather to uh, uh, to spend a heck of a lot of money with no economic plan to uh, to generate the revenues to, su- to sustain that that uh, that heavy spending. Well, you mentioned, of course, uh, no help uh, in the budget for uh, forestry, uh, that, that whole situation. Uh, no mention uh, in the uh, fiscal blueprint either of that rural dividend uh, being uh, returned. So uh, that no doubt caught attention of uh, uh, rural leaders. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, uh, uh, some peaks had a $400,000 grant into the rural dividend fund last year. Clearwater had grants in. Uh, Barrier had, had uh, community groups looking for money. Um, it, it's significant. Uh, this is a fund that small communities were using to diversify their economies away from being solely uh, resource-based economies. Uh, instead, what we've seen is, is the government very quietly suspended that proge- or program last year when they had $35 million of requests for a $25 million fund. Uh, Minister Donaldson uh, assured people that uh, the the applications would roll over into this year, and and by that uh, answer, everyone assumed that meant that the funding would be in the budget this year. Uh, or why do you need to roll forward the applications that were no longer valid? And instead, uh, what we have seen is instead of an increase in the rural dividend fund mm-hmm. to try to make up for that backlog from last year. Uh, it's been cut yet again. And so those types of, of programs, uh, forestry, you know, they're dangling out a $13 million program for forestry at the same time cutting the budget of the Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resources Development. Um, the two aren't compatible. Uh, you know, we have an, an industry in crisis. Uh, it desperately needs help. And, and we have right now uh, the government not prepared to take any meaningful action to try to address the concerns of the forest communities, the forest contractors, uh, the forest companies, large and small. And, and it's time to, to get moving on this file and actually get some meaningful uh, change in place. This is the only jurisdiction in Western Canada and the Western states that is struggling with forestry. Everyone else is is moving along quite well, and it's because of government policy and taxation, and they need to address that. Well, you know, I also notice, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, revenue, uh, counting on revenue to come in, uh, I look at retail sales, and I'm thinking back that uh, retail sales actually increased less than the rate of inflation last year, yet uh, at at around uh, 0.5% only. Uh, this budget, however, seems to uh, be predicated on the idea that retail sales in 2020 are suddenly going to jump 3%. Dodd? 
Well, and, and, and none of this makes sense. Uh, the, when you actually look in the budget, uh, I know exactly the, uh, uh, the, the table that you're referring to. Uh, there are, are uh, tons of mixed messages there. The, the actual graph itself uh, re- uh, reflects uh, uh, one, one uh, uh, projection uh, that, they, that, that, that retail spending will go up. But when you actually read the, the content uh, that is associated with that graph, um, it then lists all of the sectors of the of the economy that are expected to be in decline uh, this coming year. Uh, sectors like the automotive industry and auto sales, uh, electronics, uh, a, a range of manufacturing. These are all, by the way, industries that are generally considered to be uh, canaries in the coal mine. They tend to be front-end uh, indicators of what is happening uh, with an economy. Uh, so if people are buying, you know, uh, if they're not going out and buying that new uh, that new pickup truck, uh, they're deferring that purchase uh, by a year. That's a reflection of uh, a lacking of confidence uh, that uh, that 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 family has in in the economy. Uh, so that's very worrisome. I I frankly uh, I try to try to understand um, how they could account for a three percent uh, increase in in retail uh, retail spend um, when uh, so many of the of the major sectors that that come into play uh, in in the retail sector are projected to to be in decline this year. But again, uh, their budget is is riddled with all kinds of um, inconsistencies uh, in in how they in how they present the information and how they talk about the information. And Bob, when you think about uh, the number one indicator for any healthy economy, it's typically housing starts. And you think back to 08, what happened uh, with the meltdown uh, across North right. America, what happened to housing starts. Uh, that's the number one canary in the coal mine, so to speak. And when you look at the projections for housing starts, it's a year-over-year drop in housing starts across the province um, in terms of uh, this year, next year, and the following year. A steady decline in housing starts. And that's worrisome in its own right for two reasons. A, it's going to really hammer down on the economy. B, uh, in a time of housing affordability crisis uh, where supply and demand, uh, we really need that supply to meet the demand. Uh, The fact that even home builders are not confident enough in the economy right now to continue to build supply that's desperately needed uh, is very worrisome. And the numbers on that, Bob, uh, as as Pete uh, just just suggested, uh, the, the the budget is calling for a twenty two percent decline in housing starts this year. Twenty two percent. That will be followed by about another uh, ten to twelve percent decline over the next two years. So let's just use round numbers and say a thirty percent decline in housing starts. Uh, at the same time, the budget's saying prices are going to go up um, by about ten percent. Uh, uh, throw in uh, the fact that uh, the population of our province is expected to continue to increase by about 30 to 40,000 people uh, per year over the next three years. Uh, We are simply, uh, we don't have enough uh, uh, homes for people today. uh, And we're going to see that problem exacerbated and a classic supply and demand uh, challenges, uh, as Peter just mentioned. Well, let's continue on that uh, theme, guys. Uh, You know, a lot of concern uh, recently, and I mean a lot of concern, uh, Todd, this uh, comes under your uh, file uh, in a critic role. This condominium insurance situation, uh, the costs skyrocketing, and this is going to put even added pressure when it comes to affordability at all levels. 
Well, uh, yes, uh, this is a rapidly emerging issue. The uh, the fact that strata uh, insurance uh, costs are going through the roof. Uh, premiums are up, deductibles are up, and, and as a result, the strata monthly fees are, are up, and not up by inflation. We're not talking about a you know a two or three percent year over year increase. Uh, we are talking about um, uh, increases in the in the range of you know fifty percent to two hundred and fifty percent in terms of the premiums. Uh, and and a similar increases in in deductibles. Uh, to give you an example, a building in Kamloops, uh, a, a strata council that I I, I just met with, uh, they uh, are uh, have seen their uh, their um, the deductibles uh, for water damage, for example, uh, has gone from twenty five thousand dollars in their policy to this point uh, to. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollar deductible uh, in their in their policy moving forward. There are thirty thousand strata corporations across British Columbia. Half of all residents in Metro Vancouver live in a strata unit. Uh, this uh, a massive escalation in cost is going to uh, become a huge uh, affordability issue for uh, tens of thousands of, uh, of families and 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 British Columbians generally. Uh, and when when I stood up in the in the legislature the other. And asked the finance minister, "What is she doing to address this affordability crisis?" Um, we got nothing but uh, partisan uh, attacks in, in response, um, and, a, and a suggestion that she's talking to uh, different stakeholders. They're having conversations and so forth. Um, that's not good enough. Uh, people are, um, in fact, some strata corporations are are, are realizing uh, that they can't even secure uh, a renewal on their insurance and uh, and don't have insurance at this point. Uh, so this um, this has the potential to be, as some have described it, uh, the leaky condo crisis uh, on steroids. Um, there could be a, a complete and, and, and utter meltdown of the housing sector in British Columbia if the government doesn't uh, take some action on this and, and do so uh, very, very quickly. Um, I'd like to, at this point, uh, do another U-turn here. I, I want to go back to the uh, forestry concerns. Peter, uh, Merlin Blackwell, uh, Clearwater Mayor, certainly getting under the skin of the NDP government recently, uh, raising concerns about the uh, tenure transfer uh, in that area, the uh, Babenby Forest tenure to Interforce Adams Lake operation, uh, seemingly in La La Land as we record this. What are you hearing on that front? Well, it's very disappointing. Uh, I asked some questions of the Minister of Forest on on Tuesday um, around um, uh, when uh, Vavenby, Clearwater, the area would know what's going on with the the proposed tenure transfer between Canfor and Interfor. Uh, the answer back was nothing's crossed his desk yet, and and I pointed out it's been nine months so far. And then uh, later we find out that, in fact, Camfor and Interfor have uh, submitted their paperwork November 7th, so almost four months ago now. And by Friday of the same week, uh, after asking those questions to the minister, he's suddenly saying that instead of uh, crossing his desk, he's been having conversations with staff back and forth about the file uh, since November. And so uh, I think the community was uh, taken aback. Uh, the companies were taken aback by the minister's evasive answer on a Tuesday uh, when they knew full well that uh, that had been in place since uh, November and they were waiting on a decision to be made. 
the end result of this is, believe it or not, uh, um, the government's been trying to silence the mayor now and telling him to stop talking publicly about this. Um, you know, it, this is like a banana republic where if you have an opinion that might be slightly different than, uh, than the government, they don't want you to talk publicly about it. Uh, I applaud the mayor for for sticking up for his community. He's not there to get me reelected. He's not there to get the NDP reelected. Uh, he's there to defend uh, the interests of his community. That's exactly what he's doing. And, and instead of the minister worrying about the mayor doing that, his exact job and um, and uh, speaking to the media when requested and being very public and transparent about his concerns, uh, the minister needs to to be that transparent and forthright with people uh, and, and actually uh, get on with the job of adjudicating the plan and the proposal and give people a yes or a no or what conditions uh, the yes is attached to and move forward with this. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of contractors that have not meaningfully logged for almost a year now. Um, the time is up for the minister to, to keep uh, kicking this around and trying to blame 16 years of this and, and 17 years of that and actually do his job. I've known the uh, Clearwater mayor for some time, and I'll tell you, muting Merlin Blackwell is going to be a lot easier said than done. I'd like to uh, also uh, discuss uh, this time around uh, the really big issue that uh, we, of course, have been hearing for uh, days and weeks now, these blockades uh, stemming from the uh, coastal gas link pipeline protests, which have been happening, the blockades, uh, as of this recording, uh, a blockade popping up recently on the CP line uh, out by Chase. Uh, Todd, an update on that situation. Your thoughts? Well, the uh, the blockade that popped up uh, just outside of Chase in, in my riding east of Kamloops, uh, that uh, blockaded. They're, they're, I'm getting mixed uh, information at the moment as to whether... Uh, whether or not it uh, it is still it is still in place, uh, I do believe that some trains um, have been making their way through there. So uh, we'll have more of an update on that soon. But 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 if I take it back up to the higher level here, uh, I think we all agree uh, that um, and believe very passionately in the right of of, of Canadians to uh, to protest uh, as long as those protests are are legal and peaceful. And uh, where the line gets crossed here is when uh, protests um, uh, obstruct people from uh, from being able to access uh, critical infrastructure, when protests uh, uh, um, prevent people from getting to work, when they prevent goods from uh, entering our province or moving through our province uh, or leaving our province for that matter, uh, and when the, and when protests uh, become um, a, 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 an opportunity uh, for folks to bully. Uh, people and and, uh, and and potentially become violent. Uh, what is happening in British Columbia at the moment, I think, is reflective of two things. One, uh, a, an NDP government that has been playing footsie with uh, uh, environmental activist uh, groups uh, for many, many years. We have ministers sitting in John Horgan's cabinet who, uh, even as cabinet ministers in the case of Environment Minister George Heyman, uh, continues to meet with uh, groups like the Sierra Club and, and, and others uh, that are committed Committed to uh, keeping uh, uh, our natural resources uh, in the ground, so to speak, and and uh, uh, shutting down industry and and uh, you know, resulting in mass uh, job loss. 
uh, on, that's happening on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, the, the, the government has a responsibility to uh, stand up for the best interests of all British Columbians and for the economy. Uh, they can't have it both ways. And so I think that the, um, the, the FTSE that, that, that John Horgan and his cabinet colleagues have been playing with these, uh, these uh, environmental activists, um, coupled with the, the massively raised expectations that they have uh, put on the table uh, uh, with respect to um, Indigenous peoples and First Nations and, and the need for reconciliation, which we all support, uh, but the massive expectations that have been set and their utter failure to make any progress on those expectations expectations is a large part of the reason why I think there's a tremendous amount of frustration that is that has come out um, uh, from um, folks uh, uh, from, from some indigenous uh, uh, leaders and and from people who support these indigenous uh, leaders um, but at the end of the day uh, I'm detecting uh, pretty loud and clear in in, in Kamloops uh, in my constituency that um, uh, there is a, uh, a a growing sense amongst uh, just rank and file uh, citizens that enough is enough uh, um, there, there needs to be uh, one set of rules for everybody. Uh, these illegal blockades and protests should be denounced by the government, uh, and um, uh, people need to be able to get on with with their lives um, and 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 expect that they can do that without being uh, prevented from getting to work or picking up their kids or crossing a bridge or uh, or um, you know uh, working uh, for for CN or CP Rail and and uh, getting laid off, which is the case at CN at the moment because of uh, massive. Uh, rail blockades uh, that have taken place. Uh, we, we, need, we need some leadership at both the provincial and federal levels uh, on this moving forward. Certainly uh, personal inconveniences of many. Uh, you mentioned uh, the CN uh, situation uh, via rail, of course, uh, it's nationwide for a time. Uh, port traffic, Vancouver port traffic, ships being diverted into Seattle uh, as a result of what's happening out of Vancouver. Uh, all of this, none of this can, can, can be at all good for our overall economic well-being to provide uh, those important services that everybody uh, depends on. Uh, Peter, your thoughts? Well, absolutely. And it, it goes further than that. We're hearing in eastern Canada and, and other parts of Canada that there's now a concern about propane and, and uh, heating fuel levels uh, being shipped as, as they still are in the grips of winter. As we all know, Eastern Canada uh, doesn't clear up as quickly as Victoria and, and Vancouver Island does with their, their weather. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing reports that some communities are starting to get worried about chlorine levels uh, uh, for shipment to their water treatment centers uh, to be able to still provide uh, properly sanitized uh, potable water uh, to residents. And so I think as, as this keeps unfolding, as, as in action keeps happening uh people really start to feel that ramification and as todd said this isn't about saying no to protests uh you know uh, greta when she was in victoria very large crowd probably 10 times as many people at that uh, gathering as there was uh when the legislature was under siege with uh, with the activists a couple weeks ago um but they were peaceful they were very loud. They, they filled the whole front lawn of the legislature. They got their message out there very passionately, very well-spoken. Uh, people working in the building that day weren't feeling threatened. They didn't feel like uh, their personal safety was at risk, that they weren't able to still do their job. Um, and, and yet the message was sent very loud and clear what they stood for and what they wanted. So, you know, this isn't about whether you agree with the message or disagree with the message. It's about there actually is a very e 
easy and, and tangible ways you can gather, uh, get your message out there. Uh, in Vancouver, they got the big square out in front of the, the old gallery downtown. Uh, they regularly have protests there. Um, they really don't need to block a, a major intersection um, heading to the busiest uh, hospital in Western Canada to get that same message out there. And, and um I said this on other interviews. What a lot of people maybe don't realize is when, when a protest is being planned in a city, uh, and and they do it the right way, and they talk with the planning department in the city, uh, emergency services understand what will be blocked when. Uh, they have workarounds for fire and ambulance and police to know uh, how to still get to other areas of town to be able to service people. All of that's coordinated. They make sure there's proper traffic control so people, uh, either in the general public or the protest group, aren't uh, you know in physical physical harm. Uh, none of that happens when you just pop up in the middle of train tracks where we see lots of unfortunate accidents happen with trains uh, or when you pop up in the middle of very busy intersections next to major hospitals. Um, it's unnecessary. It's not needed. They can still get their voice out there. Uh, they can still take their stand, uh, but they need to start doing it in a way that it is not imperiling not just the economy, uh, but soon people's ability to heat their homes, people's ability to access potable water, and people's ability to get a along with their uh, everyday lives. Just one more. Uh, I'd like both of you uh, to uh, weigh in on this. Uh, the uh, thoughts that you may have uh, related to the remainder of the uh, spring legislative uh, session here. Well, I, I'll, I'll touch on a few things. Um, uh, first off, uh, we're going to be uh, focusing a tremendous amount of time at, at, uh, now that the budget's out there and we, uh, we, we get into the budget estimates process. That will probably consume three quarters of the legislative time that we have between now and the end of May. We're going to be focusing on affordability. Uh, uh, the, the, the government ran on a commitment of making life more affordable for British Columbians, and uh, they are failing at that miserably. Uh, as I said at the outset of this podcast, uh, the average family is paying over $3,000 a year more in cumulative taxes and fees today uh, under the NDP than they were uh, three years ago. Uh, housing uh, prices um, are going up. Rents are going up across the province. Uh, we still have the highest gas prices in North America. Carbon taxes are up. Uh, if you're in the interior in the north, your carbon tax in ma- many cases is uh, costs more than the actual cost of natural gas on your on, on your bill. Um, on and on uh, the list goes. Um, you couple that with uh, the um, uh, the job situation, employment uh, heading in the wrong direction, a lack of an economic development strategy. Uh, the the um, uh, the fourth sector is is one piece uh, that is really challenging, but there are many others across British Columbia. Um, uh, we we have got a, a I think a a rest for an economic, uh, a very significant economic um, uh, crisis uh, on our hands when you're spending like you're spending and taxing like you're, you're taxing uh, and uh, uh, not creating uh, private sector employment, but rather losing a lot of private sector employment. That's um, uh, the, the numbers aren't going to add up very quickly for, for the government. Um, the one other piece that uh, I think will feature prominently in the coming weeks is uh, the NDP's um, announcement recently to introduce uh, no-fault insurance at, at ICBC. Uh, we uh, we are, are going to be um, uh, uh, scrutinizing the government's plans once we see what their plan is, uh, the details, uh, very, very closely. Um, at the end of the day, we, we have some pretty significant suspicions here about whether or not this is the right thing to do. Um, uh, the, basically, what the government is asking British Columbians to do is, is trust them. Trust them that after increasing their insurance rates by uh, you know 20% over the last three years, uh, um, you know I'm going to give you a break 
hike on your insurance rates uh, next year, which you're going to have to wait just before an election for that to happen. Uh, and, and even worse, um, you know, the, the underlying theme of what the NDP seemed to be wanting to do with this impl- implementation of no fault is to say to British Columbians, we want you to trust ICBC as well. Tr- trust ICBC that they're going to become a caring, kind, gentle, warm, fuzzy organization uh, that's going to look after you when they have a demonstrated track record uh, of, uh, of not having the best interests of British Columbians uh, in mind. Um, the NDP's plan would, would have British Columbians uh, that are, you know, unfortunately injured in an auto accident to, to you know, have to deal with uh, and rely upon ICBC for the rest of their lives. I'm not sure that that's where, uh, where British Columbians are at. I'm not sure British Columbians trust either the NDP on, uh, on, uh, on, on auto rates, uh, let alone ICBC on having their best interests in mind. Um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the need for competition, uh, that if we really, truly want to focus on providing the most affordable rates possible for, uh, for British Columbia's drivers, uh, it, it, we believe it's time for, uh, for private uh, competition uh, in the auto insurance business in, in British Columbia. So that will be a very interesting and important uh, debate that will take place in the, in, in the legislature in the coming weeks. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, from my perspective, uh, we'll, be, we'll be delving into all of that, but we'll also be trying to, to get to the bottom of the overall theme of this budget. It seems to be, um, you know, if you're, if you're just looking at a, a political strategy map, it seems to basically say we've given up on rural BC in the interior and we're going to focus solely on Metro Vancouver and, and populated areas of Vancouver Island. And, and we have no, take no issue with the fact that um, um, each region needs different supports and help from a government. Uh, that's understood, and there's going to be different dollar levels attached to that. Uh, that's understood as well. We're not going to try to build a SkyTrain in, in Clearwater to Barrier. Um, and so this isn't about uh, whatever they get we want. Uh, but when you look at the overall theme of the budget, when you look at the fact that the Highway 5 corridor from Kamloops to Jasper is now looking at three, four, and five years of no spending on it uh, by this government. Uh, that's a problem, especially when you look at the increased volumes that will start happening with pipeline construction on that that highway corridor. When you look at the Trans-Canada twinning that's been delayed two and a half years so far, uh, the minister keeps talking about accelerating, and then her very next sentence is how they're going to keep studying and trying to get plans just right. Um, the plans were just right two and a half years ago, so it's time to get on with that. But the money seems to be very slow to roll out. Uh, community gaming grants, we have not seen any capital uh, dollars uh, granted in the Kamloops region in the last two years from the community gaming grants. Um, that is unacceptable. And so what we're seeing is this slow chipping away uh, of programs and services that rural BC rely upon. And, and frankly, it's because the NDP have looked at the electoral map. And, and that's not right. They're supposed to govern for all of British Columbia. If you look at the 13 ministries that have been cut, those are mainly the ministries that rural BC relies upon, the rural dividend fund not being reinstated. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. The transit cuts predominantly impact the interior of BC with BC Transit. Uh, TransLink does not operate the rest of the province, only Metro Vancouver. Um, All of those things added together uh, are very troubling and very worrisome and those are the types of things that we want to get an answer for for the people of the interior moving forward to make sure um, that, like I say, it's not 
not dollar for dollar or project for project, but that we're being uh, respected first and foremost and, and being treated fairly and equitably within the, the realm of the, the provincial operations. My special thanks to Kamloops South Thompson MLA Todd Stone, along with Kamloops North Thompson MLA Peter Millibar. You've been listening to North to South. I'm Bob Price. We thank you for listening.